0: Hello and welcome to episode number 215 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books and with me this week is best-selling author Julie Kenner. She also writes as Jay Kenner, but conveniently they are the same person. Her latest book, Sweetest Taboo, was released this past week on October 4th, so it is release week for her. We talk about theories about the romance genre, why the strongest tropes continue to endure, what it's like writing very, very big taboos, and writing hot versus really, really hot. We also talk about how Google and real estate listings help all writers, and how your writing routine might change when you're writing different genres. We also talk, of course, about what books she's reading and enjoying. All of the links to the books we discuss, as well as television shows and movies, will be available in the podcast entry. That's smartpitches, trashybooks.com slash podcast. The podcast transcript is being sponsored by Kensington this month, publishers of A Change of Heart by Sonali Dev, the highly acclaimed author of A Bollywood Affair and The Bollywood Bride. Delving beyond the surface of modern Indian American life, A Change of Heart is an extraordinary story of secrets, danger and Bollywood glamour. Dr. Nick Joshi had it all until, while working for Doctors Without Borders in a Mumbai slum, his wife Jen discovered a black market organ transplant ring. Before she could expose the truth, Jen was killed. Two years after the tragedy, Nick is a cruise ship doctor who spends his days treating seasickness and sunburn and his nights in a boozy haze. On one of those very blurry evenings on deck, Nick meets a woman who makes a startling claim. She received Jen's heart in a transplant, and she has a message for him. With starred reviews in PW, Booklist, and Kirkus, A Change of Heart has also been praised by Shelf Awareness, which raved, A Change of Heart cements this author's standing as not only one of the best, but one of the bravest romance novelists working today. A Change of Heart by Sonali Dev is available now everywhere books are sold, and more info can be found at sonali.dev.com. The music you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is and where you can buy it. And I will also have some compliments for some fine, fine, excellent folks who have supported our podcast Patreon campaign. So many of you have supported the Patreon in the past few weeks, and I want to say thank you. If you are curious or would like to help keep the show going, please have a look at our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash bitches. For a dollar a month or more, you can make a monthly pledge that helps support the show and helps me commission transcripts for all of the episodes. Most of all, your support means a lot, and I am deeply thankful for everyone who has made a pledge to support the show this month. Thank you very, very much. You are all awesome. I am really excited about this interview, and I hope you enjoy it. So now, without any further delay, on with the podcast.
1: Hey, everyone. I am Julie Kenner. I'm most well-known these days as Jay Kenner. I've been writing for forever. These days, I'm mostly writing super sexy romances with really damaged heroes and heroines. There's lots of angst, lots of drama, and I am having so much fun doing it. So that (laughs) is me.
0: That's excellent. I remember your earlier julie kenner books Mm -hmm. and they were like soccer mom books right they were about women who had kids and like weird stuff happened to them
1: i had um yes i have done a lot of different things as julie kenner i was kind of all over the map um everything i wrote under that name was much lighter this the demon hunting soccer mom books are still alive and kicking um And in fact, the seventh book is coming out in December. I don't have a pre-order for it up because I'm just going to do a live drop, but it is coming. And, um, we've actually, um, this hasn't been officially announced yet, but there's some new media stuff happening. So hopefully there will be a visual interpretation, shall we say, of the series coming, coming very soon. We've, um. We've got, you know, a story outline and we've, you know, anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. So I'm super excited because I've, I really, really love that series. It's not romance. It's, um, there's romantic elements, yes. but it's not romance. It's very much, um, I call it paranormal mommy lit. I mean, I, I, I pretty much, you know, I, I like to say I, in, I invented paranormal mommy lit. So that's, there you go.
0: Well, it's, yeah. it's weird, especially because in romance, even inside the parts of the romance genre where there's something else happening that's much more primary, like paranormal romance or Mm -hmm. romantic suspense. Like there's a thing that has to happen in addition to the sexy times. There aren't a lot of stories about heroines once they've had kids or been married or divorced or, you know, had any of these life experiences. That's a lot smaller of a
1: list of books. It really is. I think in the context of romance my little theory about that is is that romance is so much it doesn't have to be but it tends to be so much about that that first time or the first time that shall we say counts the one that's going to be the one forever so then that's usually before kids you know most most of the time the one where you find the person that you're going to like spend the rest of your life with you hope is um is before the kids come or it's a, you know, it's a later romance where sometimes there'll be kids in the background, but you know, they're kind of, they may not be play a big part in the part. So I think that's a lot of it is that so much of the emotion that you put into a romance novel is that pulling up that, those, those first feelings, those, those, you know, and, and so I think that that tends to limit kind of the family element of romance, although certainly it's there in real life. Right. You no, know, novels aren't always a reflection of real life. They're sort of a you know, they're a slice of a piece of life that we want to look at.
0: Yeah, they're a so. sliver. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think you're definitely right about that because that would also explain why in many novels you have previous relationships that are diminished or vilified or, oh, I thought it was really good with him, but wow, you are the best. Like that is that whole, like, this is the one who is better than all the others, which sort of eliminates the possibility
1: that people can have more than one great love in their life. I did a cover quote for a book recently, and I'm so embarrassed because I cannot, for the life of me, remember the name of it. But <laughs> you'll remember. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, whoever <laughs> you are. I'm so sorry, um, and I don't know what it, when it released, but it's I'm sure it's out now because it's been probably about a year now, I think. Um, but it was wonderful because the premise was um, that I mean, it was sad because the premise was that the the, the first husband passed away. Um, but it was wonderful because it wasn't vilified at all. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, he was sort of part of the story because he was, through leaving her messages, you know, not paranormal, but messages right. about getting on with her life, he was sort of encouraging the future romance. And I thought it was really, it was really sweet and charming and lovely and, I, and, and also very hot. It was a great book. I, I'm so sorry that I cannot remember the name because I would love to pimp it. But find it it was good
0: you'll remember it at like three in the morning
1: i will and then i'll sit up
0: (laughs) (laughs) there is a older harlequin blaze that i love by kathleen o'reilly called sex straight up and oh my god
1: i love kathleen she's like my bestie
0: she's okay she's such a great writer she is and in this particular book the hero is a 9-11 widower his wife was was killed on Mm 9-11 and so he's Moving on with his life, I think he's a forensic accountant, and he gets involved with the heroine's business for forensic accountancy reasons, Mm -hmm. but it's not as if his his late wife wasn't a real relationship or that he didn't love her. The the conflict is more that the entire country once a year will not let him forget her because he's being told constantly, you can't forget, you can't forget, and he's kind of like, I would like to move on, but I don't know how, and I so appreciated that the the new relationship wasn't a replacement or a one up or a, or a bettering of his life it was this was this was a thing that happened and now i'm moving on and i i wish there was more of that in romance
1: mhm yeah it's a it's i i think it would be fair to call it a subgenre almost and it's yeah. a very it's a very limited subgenre which is a shame and um and frankly, I would like to see more books from Kathleen, but she won't do that for me. It's really very, very sad. I Maybe to if we, like,
0: if we, like, tag team email her, like, Ooh. once a day, every other day. Hi, it's us again.
1: There you go. We'd like there to. We'd yes. like to
0: read your books because they're
1: so good. <laughs> I know. I know. I love her to death, and I've we, we critiqued together for many, many years. Really, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. She's she's literally one. of When I said she was my best one, of my bestie. She's literally one of my best friends. She and Dee Davis and I started critiquing together in Austin years ago. Kathleen and I were critiquing first, and we all got published uh, within. I guess about a year of each other tag teaming around around, and we and we Kathleen and I used to. She worked downtown, and I worked downtown, and we would like, you know, oh, I'm gonna go for coffee, and we'd sit there in Starbucks and grab thirty minutes here and there, going over each other's pages. So yeah, it's wow. Great.
0: Of, of all the books and authors I could have mentioned, I think it's so funny I mentioned the
1: perfect <laughs> partner. That was completely coincidental. <laughs>
0: So I want to ask you about this, this series that you're writing um, and the, the very dark, very angsty, and very taboo-laden sort of backstory you've created here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a yes,
1: uh... – I love this this trilogy is a lot of fun. I'm having some well it's done now. I mean it was it was intended to be a trilogy. It is a trilogy and so the last book came out in the trilogy came out today. So Yay. while while Dallas and Jane will undoubtedly appear in other stories because I I I have a hard time letting go of anything. Um, so you know they they they're in the world so they will be in the world. Um but their arc is over. So, you know, happy but sad. Um, but I do. I love their story, and I and I love kind of playing with that taboo element. Um, it was really a lot of fun, and it's. I mean, certainly, I've written angsty heroes and dark things that have happened in people's past, but this this one is definitely the darkest, and it has the most, um, you know, taboo element. Although, you know, some readers honestly say, you know, it's not as as taboo as they thought it was going to be. I'm like, you know they're not allowed to be together it's like a felony so i figure that that makes it kind of taboo so but that's just a little just a little
0: (laughs) well there are so few boundaries anymore in romance in contemporary like there are very few reasons why two adult people who are both consenting can't just go bang Mm -hmm. like there's no obstacle here um I don't want to give away the whole hook of the story, so I'm trying not to ask a specific question, but what can you say to someone who hasn't read this book series about it, the it, uh, the major boundary here?
1: It is, it's a hard question because I've No tried... pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a hard question because if you haven't read the first book and you don't know what the, the secret is, I mean, there's, there's certainly, there's actually a couple of things going on in this book that I, mm-hmm. I thought one was going to be about his character and kind of some mm-hmm, issues that he has that I thought was going to be much more in readers, the forefront of readers' minds that, that there's, his whole persona is sort of, God, I'm just like, how do you talk around these things and not give it away? Right. Um, I'm sort of, I was. I really thought that reader's going to be like, oh, wow, you know, how ironic that he's got this moniker as, you know, the king of fuck. And, um, and he's got these other issues, but that's, and and I kind of thought that was really cool and that it was going to be a thing. And, and it's really not, which I think is also very interesting about kind of what women want in reading a romance novel. You know, what is the part that's the, when you're reading a really sexy romance, what is the part that makes it really sexy? Um, but as for why he and Jane can't be together, Oh Golly, gee whiz! It's um, I, it, you know, it's familial. It's you know, there's there's a it, it's not it's not a stepbrother romance, but it's in that genre, shall we say?
0: That illuminates a lot I think. because I can, and that's a very particular, um, for lack of a better word, that's a very particular kink, and I can picture listeners going, "Yes, give it to me now," and other, other listeners going, "Yeah, no, not my thing." It's
1: it's it's it is a DNF for a lot of a lot of readers, and I know that, and I knew that tackling it, you know, and um, but at the same time, my the challenge, my editor was the one who suggested it. She's like, I really think it would be fun for you to write a taboo romance, and I'm like, really? And she's like, No, it'd be fun, and I'm, and so then the little bug is in my head, and I'm of course. like, going, yeah, okay, and so I I had this idea. I'm like, well, I don't want to write. Um, a stepbrother romance because there are a lot of them out there. So I kind of wanted to put my own twist on that genre because I think it is kind of a subgenre now. And um, so when I came up with the idea, it it just started growing about what you know, what the taboo was and why it was fascinating to me to, to go there. Mm-hmm. Honestly, because my first instinct was eh, maybe maybe not. But then when I started really digging into the concept there's something very compelling about writing a taboo because the thing about romance novels now is there are so many of them and we've all been reading them for so long and you know you kind of know how it's going to end i mean that's part of the definition there's going to be a happily ever after and so one of the things that is a challenge because readers are smart is well how are they going to get there happily ever after? How are they going to get over these stumbling blocks? And when you set up the taboo that I set up where literally they, they can't get married, you know, they can't get married. They can't have that life together, they just can't. Then the challenge for me was, well, how do I get them there? How do I get a happily ever after? And how do I get the happily ever after that I want them to have? It's it's not just them going, well, we're just going to be happy together, you know, but to actually let them have the full meal deal. And so it was really fun building all of that, And then also building Dallas's persona because he's a very complex layered character with a lot of secrets. And so it just kept layering on as I was thinking about this. And it just kept getting more and more fun to to plot out and to think about and, you know, then to get the words on the page and develop their relationships. I had a lot of fun with it. I had a lot of fun with this series.
0: It's more than just the taboo boundary because that has to create other problems it can't Mm -hmm. just be here's this one thing we need to fix and then once it's fixed we can go you know exactly live wherever we want and the answer can't be well let's just fake our deaths and come up with new identities and that's our happily ever after like you have to have a reason for them to achieve their happy ending Mm -hmm. but it can't just be that one obstacle especially not over three or four
1: books that's not gonna work that that would be very um yeah, that wouldn't work. No, which is which is where so much of the layering and the development of the two characters came in. Jane, I knew pretty well. She was a, a very horrible thing happens in their past, and, right? And and it's revealed in the first book. And it's it's the horrible thing happens, but at the same time, it it really connects these two characters. So you have this this push pull of like the worst possible thing that you can imagine happening also being like one of the best moments of their life you know so it's it kind of makes for some really screwed up people um so they have to get over the fact that they're screwed up um mm-hmm. or at least come to terms with it but then they also dallas also has and i don't know that this is really a, a secret secret it's it's certainly a, a revelation it's but it's it comes out very early in the first book that he's leading a double life. He's not the man that he presents to the public. And so you've got all of that going on as well. And, um, and that was actually my challenge because he originally was not going to be a hero. Um, He was a character in another trilogy, that was originally a walk-on, and then he just kind of started waving his hands and screaming, I want my SAG card, give me a few lines. And then suddenly (laughs) he was like, you know, the dude. And I had planned for my next trilogy to be a completely different character, Um, but Dallas jumped up and down and screamed and ranted and, you know, did his thing. And so suddenly I have this guy, and I didn't know his secret until I was really trying to figure out what – how he was reacting to the bad thing that happened in their past. I knew that it happened, but, but he had this persona as a playboy. And I didn't want to write a guy who was just a playboy. Cause that's not interesting to me. And, um, uh, I was in an airport on a layover and I'm like, Oh my God, he's, you know, he's Batman. And, um, and then sort of all the pieces just kind of fell into place. <laughs> and I called my editor. I remember I, was, I think I was in New Jersey. I think I was in Newark at, and, and I called my editor and I'm like, Oh my God, he's Batman. And she's like, Oh my God. Yes. And so, it, and it really, it's really nice as a writer when, you find the thing that sort of is the street lamp, uh, you know, along the path. So suddenly you're like, "Yes, I knew it was there. There it is. There's the path. I found it." And then and then it sort of all falls into place, and it's a lovely feeling. And if you when you don't have that feeling, it's just like you're just like floundering in the woods, tripping over branches and stones, and going, "Please, where's the path? It's here somewhere." I know there's I a know reason I there. did this. There's gotta yeah, exactly. be a reason. <laughs> exactly.
0: One of my favorite quotes from a writer is Lisa Kleypas who once said that in a in a romance a sex scene has to solve as many problems and cause just as many.
1: Yes. Do you think that's true as well? Absolutely, I do. And I I think that is I think that's true in in any romance. Um but I think it's especially true in erotic romance or books that, you know, you would con, that that are super sexy. The this is what I consider erotic romance in that if you take the sex out, you don't have a book because so Mm -hmm. much of the character development, the plot development is tied to their sexual relationship. And so absolutely it is, it is true. And I think that, and and sometimes you run across romances where you, you have a a sex scene that's really just there for fun. And that's, you know, that's lovely, but it needs to, if you can pull out a sex scene in any book, Mm -hmm. including, then, then you have to question why – if you can pull out any scene in a book and have it not affect the story, then you have to question why is the scene there. You know? Exactly. So, so – and, and sex scenes are no different. And that, that's such a um, – I mean one of the reasons that I have found that I am – Enjoying Because I, I, as Julie Kenner, I wrote hot, but I didn't write this hot. And one of the things that I'm finding that I really enjoy about kind of taking it to the next level and taking the heat level higher and getting more intense in the characters is that you're so, that's a moment that these characters are so vulnerable, you know, that's, you really don't get more vulnerable than that. And right. so it's just really um, – it allows you to get just so deep into the character, so um, which is a very long way of saying that yes, I agree with Lisa. <laughs> and in a very you, long-winded way,
0: <laughs> that's fine. It's not like we're running out of room of, of, <laughs> on the internet for audio or words. It also means that you have to sort of balance the growing erotic intensity and the growing emotional intensity that you that you have to keep each one sort of in a state of either parity or imbalance and tension. Um, so you, like you said, it's not just the sexy times and that there is a reason for the sex to be there and that it affects them emotionally.
1: Yes, exactly. Does and that... that's often go ahead. I was going to say, and that's often hard. I mean, it's a challenge. You know, I was just not... going to say,
0: that sounds really difficult and kind of exhausting.
1: Yeah, it, well, you know, it's interesting that you say exhausting because one of the things that I complain about, you know, not really complain, but that I will comment on that I will mention to my friends, my family, you know, anyone who will listen is that, And like my Demon Hunting Soccer Mom books, right? You've got fight scenes and they're choreographed. I mean, you know, I have to like stand up with like, you know, and, you know, like take Swiffer handles and pretend to sword fight. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, if this guy comes in, he jumps in here. And those would take me a long time to write. um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you want to get the choreography right. You want to make sure you don't have, you know, four arms somehow in there, you know, and a gun that comes out of nowhere. Um, It is, and I, it, is so much more exhausting to write the sex scenes. <laughs> Seriously, I have actually gotten to the point where I, I used to be very, very um, anal about writing straight through. I would start on page one. And I, I, I'm i an editor as I go. I, I, I rewrite as I go along, and that's my comfort zone. And I mm-hmm. would – by the time I wrote The End, my book was pretty much done. I mean I would go back and tweak it, but it's pretty much where I want to be because I've gone in and I've fiddled with stuff. I, I can't do a whole first draft and just have in the back of my head I'll fix it later. It just doesn't work for me but when i started writing the really intense sex scenes i found that i wouldn't get any words done if i went straight through because it would be so exhausting that if i needed to get x number of pages done that day it was almost physically impossible and so what i've what i do now honestly is i will write the book and then i it's almost like like planning a screenplay i will beat out the scenes Mm -hmm. so it's like i'll have the emotional points put there and i'll have a little bit of the choreography put in and i'll move on to the next scene that's maybe dialogue or something afterwards that that can be written a little bit faster without that emotional yeah and then you know and then the next day i'll write a little bit more and then i'll go back to that scene and i'll fill it in and fortunately i write in scrivener so i'm like i can highlight those scenes in a color and and it's it It took a couple of books to really be able to do that without wanting to literally pull my hair out because it was so counter to the process. And I've been writing for many, many years now, so it was so counter to a process that I had gotten so used to. But it ends up working really well because if I tried to do it in one sitting, the scenes wouldn't have the depth that they have. And I I like that. I want that depth to be there. And so it's really – it's like – I don't know. I guess it's like painting, where you have to, you know, put on a coat and let it dry, and then you put on another coat and let it, and you keep layering and layering and layering. And so they, um, they are, tend to be very massaged by the time the book is over.
0: <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's very scary as a process. I mean, it's almost like breaking up with your autopilot and, and it's learning true. how to write yes. a whole new way.
1: Yeah, and it and it used to be that I would would know exactly when I was going to finish a book because I could look and see kind of how far I was. And after you write for a while you start to get a sense of you know well this is going to be an 80,000 word book so I kind of know how I tend to write how the chapters will be broke so I you know I would have a sense of when I was going to finish how much right. I could reasonably do a day yeah no not with this uh-huh. my <laughs> editor would be like so you know when's the book and I'm like well I, I think it'll be this week and then the end of the week will come and I'm like you know I thought it was but I forgot the I have all the and no yeah so it it definitely can throw you off kilter there trying to you, you you lose the exact sense of when you. I'm getting better. I'm learning. Yeah. My, I'm learning my own process again. But for a while there, it was it was weird. But kind of new too. I mean, you have to you have to shake things up. So, it's a good thing. It's all good.
0: So, what is compelling for you about writing characters through multiple books? <sighs>
1: You know um, I guess it's really just me. I you not don't like well, to let go. <laughs> well but it, but it's interesting because I when I say it's just me, I mean it's like me just across the board. I I'm that way as a reader as well. I um like JD Robb Mm-hmm. huge fan biggest fan in the whole wide world I love those books and I have reread that damn series and I mean what there's like eight, seven, 87 million books in the series now that's so, I not
0: mean, a small task no no
1: it's not a small task and but I have literally I think made, not the more recent ones but I think up to oh golly I mean definitely in the 20s I, oh, yeah. I've like read them two or three times I mean I like and I, and I do this with television shows, too. I will not even tell you how many times I've watched Buffy and Alias. I mean, it's a scary, scary number. And people are like, have you checked out this new show? And I'm like, well, I can't because I'm rewatching Buffy the Vampires. You know, I mean, it's like I once I'm in a world, I like to stay in it, which is why I'm, you know, I enjoy short stories, but they're not my thing because they're so short. I want to lose myself in a world and there's a series of mysteries that I really love that Anne Perry writes, the um, Inspector Pitt mysteries. I would get lost in those for years. I did it as a kid. I read Nancy Drew and checked them off. And this is how old I am, I checked them off in the little check box at the back of the books. You know? <laughs> so I this did that is too. this is so yeah, I, I loved it. You know, this is not something that I just do with books, but I do like to. Um, I like I like to stick with them, and I also think that I I like to visit the characters after the hea so i mean i think that's sort of we were talking about demon earlier but i think that's one of the reasons i have so much fun with the demon hunting soccer mom books is because you're right it is kind of like what happens after in a romance novel Mm -hmm. and um and you know some of them i like to stick with more than others and some of them just feel like there's a bigger world there like i really enjoy writing um my original erotic romance couple um nikki and damian stark um Mm -hmm. and you know i mean i've written three books in the trilogy. I've got the, cause I'm apparently Douglas Adams at heart. I've got the fourth book in the trilogy coming out in April yes. and I've, <laughs> and I've, Fourth I book in the trilogy. Hey, yeah. you know, and there are no dolphins and <laughs> no restaurants at the end of the universe in it, but it's in a grand tradition. Um, you know, and they have a lot of novellas that take place and I, mm-hmm. I really enjoy revisiting that world. It's just something that makes me happy. So.
0: I don't think you're alone in that. I think a lot of people, especially, People who are discovering creative works now mm-hmm. are more likely and better able because, especially of the because of the Internet, you're better able to not only find a world that you want to immerse yourself in, but then you can go find the fandom and immerse yourself in that world as well. So you can be in the world of the story and then in the world of people who are just as passionate about that story as you are. True. And there's more and more opportunities to find worlds that you can really take a deep dive into I completely agree I think
1: it's just you know it's and I, I think it's also it's kind of human nature too there's something about just being caught up in in being told a story and oh being totally told, you know so when you get into a you know a story that you can really lose yourself in there's something very compelling about that so yeah so I guess I'm pretty normal <laughs> it's also a function
0: of of good world building and and one thing I think that isn't appreciated especially in contemporary romances, is how important world building is. Because you have to convince a reader, if it's a contemporary you have to convince a reader that it's happening right now that it's mm-hmm. possible that it's happening right now but it's just enough of the the fantastical and the and the and the compelling that you can both suspend your your disbelief and yet not want to put the book down because it could possibly be happening there's enough realism and fantasy in the same place and i and i think that that i i think that it's difficult to really describe how technically difficult that is when you're writing a contemporary because that's the world everyone's in
1: exactly you know you go and you you see like world building workshops or you just think about world building and it's and fantasy it's, or... it's almost always fantasy it's like okay you know game of thrones yep. <laughs> and it's like you know that's great but you know no, it, it it does get short shift and it's a shame because you're absolutely right you have to create this world for your characters to populate and, and that is their world and, and it's layered onto our world. And so it is very, it's a very interesting, um, challenge.
0: Are there any, are there things that you do to help build your world to, um, to populate these characters with all of their angst? Are there things that you try to do
1: deliberately in your own world building? That's a hard question because, you know, I, I tend to not, I'm not a pre-planner. I get bored when I'm like planning a book. So mm-hmm. I tend to be a, have a bare bones outline of the plot and then I dive in and then I discover the world as I'm writing it. So to prepare to do that, not so much, but I certainly think about it. I mean, I, I, what I think I really like to do, and I'm not even sure if this is actually what exactly what you're asking or if I'm sort of just skirting around the topic, but i I like to mix and match the real with what I've made up. So I almost always in my books, there are, you know, restaurants and, and how architecture and things that are the real world totally mixed in with some completely made up location or, or, or house or something that's, that's there. And then, you know, I will populate it with a mix of, um, people that I may want to draw, pull from other stories who work in that world. And mm-hmm. then because of, you know, I tend to, I've been writing, you know, very, very wealthy people in the Los Angeles area. You know, I, I tend to make up the celebrities they're working with, but there'll be references to say real life reality channels because my people get, you know, chased by the paparazzi. So TMZ will be there, but they'll be looking at, you know, you know, Lyle Tarpin who's, you know, or Gareth Todd, who are big Hollywood stars, you know, in my world, but not in our world, if that makes sense. No, that
0: totally makes sense. It's like, uh, building a fantasy and embedding it in the real world, just Mm -hmm. enough that there's a reference point of reality for the fantasy to take off.
1: Well, like, for example, um, when I did, um, the third book in the Stark trilogy, um, the that we're in germany and i had them staying at a real hotel um Mm -hmm. the hotel uh kapinski i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right but anyway a real hotel and it was really fun because i've never seen it since i think they took it off their website but they had a for the penthouse um they had a one of those 360 cameras like they do in real estate and so i was able to write the description of their hotel room nikki and damien's hotel room in great detail i only changed a little thing for a for a sex scene against a window you know it's like ah there's no railing there haha ha. Uh you know, but it's, but I actually got, I actually got an email from a fan who asked me if I'd stayed there because she stayed there for her honeymoon. And she said, I described it spot on. And I'm like, Hey, go me. Thank you. You know, thank you. Hotel Kapensky for your awesome website. And then I, you know, managed to, to describe their, their lounge and stuff. So a lot of that stuff, so that, and I named it, it's really named in the story. Right. But then when, when Nikki goes shopping on, and I, it's been long enough that I've forgotten the name of the street that the hotel is on, but it's one of the major streets in Munich. Mm-hmm. Um She passes a lot of the real stores that are there, it's like Munich's version of Rodeo drive. Right. Um, but then I have a scene where she and Damien have a little, mm, you know, private time in a lingerie shop. Well, I didn't want to use a real lingerie shop for them to be, you know, fooling around in a dressing room. Cause that just seemed not cool. So I made up my <laughs> own, you know, little lingerie shop. So now I've got that, but now that same lingerie shop has appeared in, I don't remember which story, one of the novellas it's, it has its, you know, Rodeo Drive counterpart. So now it's become a chain store that lives in my world, but it doesn't really live in the real world. Um, so, you know, so it's like it just kind of mixes and matches the real stuff with the with the fake stuff. And and the uh, Jane's townhouse in um, uh, the Dirtiest Trilogy is based on an amazing townhouse that I saw that was completely refurbished, museum quality. It's in the same neighborhood. I think I put it two streets over. I found it in... Um, And I was Googling the internet on, you know, like really amazing townhouses, and I think it was for sale at Sotheby's. It was like some insanely well-done place. And so I modeled her townhouse completely on that. But I didn't want to use the exact place for obvious reasons. Of course. But – But I know exactly what it looks like because I've I've seen it on the internet. Thank you very much. You know, I
0: think all luxury places that you can stay in, like hotels, should just have 360 cameras so writers and nosy people can go take a look.
1: They really should. I will tell you, I've been in this business for a very long time. When I was trying to write my first book, so this is before I was published, but I was trying to write it. My first attempt at writing a romance was a historical romance that will never see the light of day. But... This was back in the day when, hello, you know, the internet was a DOS prompt, you know. And Mm -hmm. um, so I was not doing any research on the internet. And I was practicing law, so I was doing very little research at the library. And I was like, I don't know how anybody does this stuff. I mean, my research for this book that I was trying to write was literally Ken Follett's Pillars of the Earth. It's like if it wasn't in Pillars of the Earth, it wasn't going to be in my romance novel. (laughs) And... um, Google and, you know, and other search engines, as far as I'm concerned, is just the best thing ever for a writer, especially a shy writer who doesn't want to like, you know, call, call the research department at some the university. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, it's great. It's, I am, I am all for the internet. Go internet. Yay. <laughs> I know that, um, for,
0: for readers, I remember having been at one of the Nora Roberts signings in Boonesboro and, you know, she wrote the hotel into a trilogy and the and different businesses in the town are in um, one of her trilogies. And I remember meeting some of her readers who were just awestruck that the places that they had read about were real and that they could like go into them and touch them. And it just made a huge huge impression on them and i think this means that you could theoretically open an online lingerie store with the name of that chain Ooh, like you could you could start your own line of lingerie and make that real too well i'll I'll get right on that yeah sure i mean because you know you've got so (laughs) much spare time right (laughs) Right. because you know you, you you're writing and kids and family and responsibilities and people and yeah it's a piece of cake just start one more business
1: but i think you're right you know i actually think that those kind of things really really do work nowadays in our in the world that we're in because you can do that kind of thing and totally. it's really kind of cool you know it really is i think that the crossover potential for that kind of thing for someone with you know enough time and enough energy and enough ability to kind of figure out a way to put it all together i think it could be great it's just possibilities nowadays for doing different cool things or just you know, unlimited it's just really it's really fun it's you know my i have a squirrel personality so i always have to like tell myself to back off a bit and you know not <laughs> not go do that because you know this thing over here is is needing to be done and that thing over there would be really cool but you know it's it's hard it's hard when you want to do everything and and sadly i do not have one of hermione's time turners i wish right I, did. I know it's very frustrating i bought one at dragon con but it doesn't work i'm gonna take it back uh- seriously I know. What's up with that?
0: That's like my my third favorite game. My favorite game is when I'm queen. My (laughs) my second favorite game is where's my venture capitalist? And my third favorite is when I can repeat time over and over again, what will I do? Like when I have a time turner, here's what I'm going to do.
1: See, it would be so handy because, I mean, people will say, well, you'd get tired. It's like, no, no, no. For one – a couple of the turns, you take a nap. I mean, you know. Totally. Totally doable. It's totally doable. Did you ever see – totally off topic. Years ago, there was a a movie. um, It was a book, but I never read the book. But the movie was – Pam Dauber was in it and some guy who I used to know at the time called The Girl the Gold Watch and Everything – no. This, oh my god. It's it's a it's I think it was from the 70s. It's totally schlocky. It would I can't watch it now because I would probably hate it and when I was little I loved it. I just thought it was the best thing ever. But this uncle dies and all he leaves like his favorite nephew is this like a crappy watch. And so the nephew's like, thanks a lot, favorite uncle. <laughs> but, it turns, but it turns out that it, it stops time. And so I'm, I'm sure J.K. Rowling watched, read this book It was, or watched this movie. But I loved it. It was like a caper. It was, you know, someone, there's bad guys. And I don't even remember the plot anymore. But I just thought that was the coolest thing. And I wanted that watch so badly as a kid. I still do.
0: I wish there were movies like that still
1: being made. There really aren't, are there? Not you
0: know? that not movies like um, Science Fiction Capers, mm-hmm. and there aren't romantic comedies.
1: No, there really aren't. I was talking about that recently, what a Darth there uh, is of romantic comedies these days. And I think part of the reason is, is that there were a lot of bad romantic comedies because yep. people don't realize – because comedy is light and funny, they don't realize that it is so incredibly hard to write.
0: The devil, you say? You mean what? like romance
1: is hard to write too? I know. Isn't oh that my shocking? Gosh, I know, I know. it's not more something you just sit down on a weekend and do. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you
0: don't just like sit down and, and whip one whip one out in a, in, a, in a weekend, just crank it out and have it ready to go on Monday?
1: Well, yeah, with bonbons. I have them on my desk. Right. Bonbons. Right. In in a very
0: pink tool office.
1: Absolutely. Yes, Yes. with
0: those slippers with feathers on the toes.
1: Yes. 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 Except the toes are, you have a little bit of a cut out of the toe so you can see your pink toenails.
0: Oh, yes. Because your pedicure is always perfect. Of course. It's never like a month old or anything. No. No. (laughs)
1: Well, it takes a side glance at her. Yeah, I'm sitting here going, okay, yes, my manicure has grown out about seven millimeters already here oh right? yeah yeah it's pretty yeah yeah we need to not be seeing that in public <laughs> i'll be
0: i'll be honest with you after rwa in mid-july i kind of take like a month off of of paying attention but before rwa like i will schedule on my calendar okay eyebrows Pedicure, uh-huh pedicure um is all of my makeup okay do I need to replace anything in my makeup okay I have to be like fully ready oh yeah and like okay. prepared haircut three weeks before you know like I have all of this schedule and then afterward it's like eh, I don't care so
1: that's what we should do we should all like all 2,000 of us should make a pact that no one is going to um to do any prep work for LWA and we just show go up as, as, are. We are. Oh, go as we are oh my gosh
0: I would yeah. love it like I always, I always think, you know, one year I'm gonna throw like a pajama party, and I'm like, no one's gonna come. No and one's I'm gonna, gonna wear come. like really nice pajamas and makeup, and I'll be like, who are you people that sleep in makeup? Are you the people that go to the gym in makeup? I don't understand.
1: That is exactly what you would get. Like, I am... don't
0: pretend like y'all don't wear yoga pants ninety percent of the day. Come on. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's why you become a writer for the elastic waist pants.
1: Oh, yeah. And then someone comes and delivers stuff to your door, and you're like, seriously, I have to open the door and sign for something? Are you kidding me? Really? No, 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 no. You don't understand. I am no condition to open the door and sign for something.
0: So one of the questions I also wanted to ask you about was being a former attorney. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of recovering attorneys, as Alyssa Day likes to call all of you, recovering attorneys in romance. And I have a theory as to why that is, and I want to know if you think my theory holds any water. Okay. So I know that in just about every case, anything that you you write in the legal field has a structure that you have to follow. So if you're submitting a brief or you're writing a particular kind of document, there are expectations of how it's going to be structurally built. And then once you have the structure in place, say, for example, you're um, engaging in some sort of litigation, you can make whatever crazy argument you want to in the middle there. you got to have the, the correct structure, and then you fill in with all of the stuff that is relevant to what you're doing, and you make your argument or you explain what's happening. And I see a lot of similarities with romance. There are people that are going to meet, they're going to have a problem, and then it's going to be solved. But however they get from point A to point B is totally up to you. You can do whatever you want inside that structure, but the structure is expectation.
1: I actually think that that is a really good theory. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with that. I, I think that you're right. And I I think that's one component of it. Mm-hmm. I think the other component of it is that's the part that's the fun part of, of practicing law. For me, it was at least, is, is telling that story mm-hmm. in the brief. But then – I, at least, wasn't satisfied doing that because you have to balance that against the other part where you're not telling a story, where you're answering discovery questions mm-hmm. or interrogatories or something, and it is mind-numbingly horrible and uh-huh. so you're going oh can i get over here and tell the story please and they're like no you need to go over here and object you need to set out 97 objections and not provide documents and so you want to get back over to telling the story and you're like you know what i'm just gonna go tell my own story thank you very much goodbye yep.
0: and, and, and so, there are so many attorneys who write romance for various reasons
1: there are i know it's like we should form a little facebook group or something yeah, <laughs> you guys should have your own rwa chapter it would be there you or go some- <laughs>
0: Former attorneys writing romance will be like, oh, my God, do not ever email that chapter. It is not going to go well for you. (laughs) The reply will be like 9000 words like seriously, just don't do it. But even then, if you're um, if you're, you know, if you're practicing law and you're telling the story and you're dealing with the other side, for example, in litigation, you have to anticipate their story. Mm-hmm. You know, you That's have to try true. to guess what their story is going to be and then you have to make a better story. So it's like competitive storytelling.
1: It is. It is. It's you're totally right. That's so fun.
0: So, so you know it's it's there
1: there's so many professions in represented in romance writing. I mean it you, you know it's you go out in the public and they're like, "Oh, those little girl's writing those little stories." Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm, yeah, you're just not paying attention, are you? Cuz you're clueless. But that's okay. We'll just laugh all the way to the bank." We I uh,
0: I did a podcast interview very recently with a writer from the UK named Rhoda Baxter. Mm-hmm. Um and she is a scientist or a former scientist who now wrote, writes romance full-time and her pen name is named for the bacteria that she did her dissertation and her studies on, (laughs) *Rhodobacterum*. And I'm like, you know, we've got microbiologists writing romance and we've got, you know, attorneys and doctors and former lawyers and, you know, crazy, crazy, crazy high-level career paths where people are adding on this incredibly creative and entrepreneurial aspect and yet of course it's all oh those silly women writing their silly novels
1: I know it's so annoying absurd yes it is it is
0: and it's sad because I mean I've been writing about romance with the website since 2005 which is a really long time for the mm-hmm. internet and you have been writing for a very long time mm-hmm. and while the I think the coverage in the media has gotten better the underlying assumptions are still the same like yeah. how have they not gone away yet?
1: I know it has gotten better though. I yes. think I, I, so that's something. You I know, think it like definitely at, has. at
0: every major outlet, there's one writer who I know gets it
1: mm-hmm. right. Like
0: if Kelly Faircloth at Jezebel is going to write about romance, I am 2000% there for it because yeah, I know exactly. she gets it, you know, mm-hmm. but then you'll, you'll, you'll see an article on some other site and it's like, Oh, you referenced Fabio. Okay. Yeah. 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 Good try.
1: Yeah. Interesting, there's a lot more men writing romance now, too, which is, you know, at, I think is not a direct correlation, but I think it's some evidence that, mm-hmm. you know, at least out there in the bigger world, kind of the the impression that, you know, it's, oh, just that girly thing mm-hmm. is, um, is going away.
0: Well, I also think that it helps to have a growing and wider sense of what gender is and isn't. Mm-hmm. And we're yes. more aware of and accepting, I hope, of variations in gender, that it's not just a binary either or. Yes. That, oh, that also helps, I think, I hope anyway, as someone who is raising uh, two boys, that it moves people away from what I think people call gender panic. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, it's girly and so it's bad. Like, we're moving away from that. That's awesome.
1: I think so as well, and we do seem to be moving away from it. A lot of things, you know, are, it, it, we're in a time that things are very much shifting, which is great. So. And you're, are you self-publishing the the soccer mom books? I am. Yeah, I got my rights back. Oh golly gee, um, 2011 or 2012, and so I put them out and added book six um, after sadly a long gap. The, the the there are there's a long gap between these books, unfortunately, because I just you know I just. As we talked, I don't have Hermione's time Turner. It's very frustrating not to have every hour that I want every day. So yes, I am self-publishing them. So um, yeah, and that makes it's fun too. I really enjoy doing that. So have
0: you have you enjoyed that whole process, or is it sort of like okay, I'm going to do it for this series, but this is whoa, this is a lot?
1: No, I do. I really enjoy it. I um I I I think that. I think self-publishing is just one of the best things that has that has ever happened to, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like Gutenberg inventing, you know, the printing press. It's, it's, it's something that is so beneficial to authors. It has its downsides. There is like anything, when any sort of new market opens, there is suddenly a flood of mm-hmm. everything. And we've certainly seen that. And it, and it, you know, it happened, I think it's starting to slow down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um and it makes it very hard for for books to to get attention because when you don't have to deal with the brick and mortar store, you have unlimited shelf space you know and if you have unlimited shelf space, how do you find anything you know right. the 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 curating process becomes much more difficult, mm-hmm. and so that 's why we you know we're seeing such a shift away from you know the bookstore buyers to to you know bloggers and and readers being their own curators yep. i'm totally getting off topic but um no, I think it's fascinating. I love that um that, the, that an author has the ability to control pricing, to control marketing, to control their cover. I mean, you know, let's face it. it it's it, With New York, it's very difficult to get a cover replaced if you really, really hate it. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can. Sometimes you can. It depends on, you know, kind of the, you know, the team that's behind that particular book, the author's clout. How much money they've already put into the cover? It's a little yep. bit easier now that so much of the covers are photoshopped. But yep. back in the day, um, oh, yeah, that was when they were doing artist. original art. It was insane. Yeah. So no, I think it's I think it's an amazing amazing time. And um, um, and frankly, you know, this is one of the few times in my career that I've not had. I started out with two publishers. There've been times when I had three in my career, and mm-hmm. because you know, this is my living, this is, you know, I'm, this is, my husband works for me, so we're, you know, I, you know, you want that backup plan, and with, with the fact that, and back in the day, there was no backup plan, when they, uh, the demon, when the demon book was dropped, demon series was dropped, um, they, um, which was weird, because it was still selling, so I'm not even sure why it was dropped, but that's another thing, it was dropped, I had no choice, the only option I had at the time was, you know, basically to, Go to Kinko's, print books, and drive around the country selling them from my trunk. And you know, while that worked for the guy who wrote Aragon, I didn't really think it was going to work for me. So, <laughs> different case, yeah, different case. So I think it's great. I really do. I am a huge, I'm a huge believer in the power of um, indie publishing. I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's incredibly beneficial to authors.
0: The thing I love is that you can take a, a series or a book in a genre that. Major uh, industry voices will say, "Oh, that that genre is not selling. That's not selling. I can't sell that. That's not that's not popular." And you can find readers who are like, oh, "Medieval romance? Yes, please. I buy like ten a day." You can find the the specific readers who are looking for the genre that you write, even if that genre isn't the super popular one anymore.
1: And and that's the key. That's the thing that I think a lot of people don't really understand, or they they start to get angry about. It's like, well, what is, New York says that's not selling what the point they miss is that it's from New York's perspective, it's not selling because right. they have, they have a lot more of an investment going on behind those books because of just their overhead and the level of sales they have to reach to be profitable. So, mm-hmm. so they're turning it down and it's an economic decision. You know, it's not, totally. it's, business. it's not personal, it's not it's personal, it's not personal. <laughs> you know, but that, but back, you know, in and you know, 10, really, because I think indie really took off in what, 2011, 2012, right? I'm, mm, if I'm, roughly, I'm yeah. So let's say 2010, 2009, someone says, I've got this great medieval romance, and New York says, well, that's not publishing. Yeah, you know, that's the end of the story. There is no more conversation to have. Now it's like, well, you know what? I think there is a market for it. And I think that with my 70% indie percentage versus, you know, 25%, um, you know or actually seven and a half percent for a trade paperback you know mm-hmm. or 25 percent or whatever it, it tends to be for an ebook depending on what the publishing platform is whether it's profit sharing or not right. you know I think I can find enough readers to make it profitable for me and so many authors are and that's a that's a great thing it's a it's a great thing now what it does do is it makes it um, you have you have a lot more pieces of the puzzle you have to deal with so you you have to, um, you are responsible for all the decisions. It's not like, yep. oh, well, New York said they were going to do this. Darn it. I don't agree with that. Now it's like, you know, you're the, the indie author is the one saying, should I do this? Should I approach my marketing this way or this way or this mm-hmm. way or this way? They have to make the decisions and the decisions might be wrong and you don't have anyone you can blame. You, nope, know, you can't volume. say, oh, well, they said they were going to do that. And, you know, and you know, you, you have to get the covers out there. If you're not graphically oriented, you know, you, you ha- everything is on you. So much of the marketing, though, was already shifting to the author's shoulders. Certainly, some publishers were better than others and still are better than others about promoting the books. Mm-hmm. But still, there's there's been for many years now. It's not like it was back. I mean, it never was for me, really. I mean, it's always been, you know, we never had, I, we never really lived in the day that you read about when the publishers really did everything for you, you know, including like, you know, put you up in a hotel to finish your book.
0: those days are um, are long gone (laughs) yeah that's a very different industry right there (laughs) yeah yeah
1: you read some of these um you know books biographies and memoirs from back in the day and it's like oh wow that's a world I've never seen
0: uh yeah (laughs) I don't know too many authors that have but I do think
1: I do think that that you have to have a certain personality in order to um I think anybody can do indie obviously because it it, they make it very easy you know to actually get the book out there I think Mm -hmm. that you have to have a certain personality to actually you know enjoy it and want to you know dive in actively and I really do like it I think it's I think it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and fascinating to look at all the different pieces of the puzzle and, and overwhelming at times. But, you know, it, it, it's cool rather than terrifying, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, no, I completely understand. Um, So one question that I always ask every, uh, every person I interview is about the books that you've read and would really like to
1: tell people about. Oh, golly, golly, golly. Okay, well, I read in genre and out of genre. So um, let me see. I you know, My mind goes blank. For in erotic romance, I just cover quoted a book called Marriage Games by C.D. Reese, and mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it. It's not out yet, it doesn't come out till October 24th, I want to say, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure it's up for pre order. Awesome book. Um, And Burned Down the Night by um, M. O'Keefe, Molly O'Keefe, writing is M. O'Keefe, M. O'Keefe. But It's been out for a while. Loved that book. And I'm also sitting here looking for my little list of books. (laughs) Oh, um, what else did I really, really, really love recently? This is a nonfiction book, but I really liked it. And I think it's also really relevant for anyone who's trying to write as an indie author because um, it's called Essentialism by Greg McKeon. McAllen, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, but it was really good. I think it's a lot like The One Thing, but I haven't read The One Thing, so I couldn't say that for sure. But I really enjoyed it. It was a, it's sort of a, you know, kind of, you know, it's a self help, you know, mm-hmm. business y type book, you know, just sort of on how to drill down into your focus. And I thought that was really an excellent book and I could go on and on so you can just tell me to stop what did you get out of the uh the book about essentialism like what were
0: some of the things you took away from it cuz it's about um essentially reducing all of the things you do to focus mm-hmm. on fewer things it? no i have read books i've read i've read articles about it i haven't read it yet
1: it's um, it, that's, on my ex- that's exactly what, well, it, for me, I saw a lot of myself in it. I mean, certainly the, just the concept of, of saying no is important because mm-hmm. I, I do have a tendency to take on more than I probably should because I'm just that way. I've always been, you know, able to get stuff done and, um, and you know, you want to give someone a cover quote, you want to read their book, you want to help, you know, give them feedback. If it's a friend on a project that they're working on, you want to, you know, volunteer for your kids, whatever, you know. And so they're but, – but ultimately if you do all of those things, are you going to be able to get the key things done that are ultimately – Driving you towards whatever your ultimate goal is. And, you know, if you sit down and and look at it, or if I sit down and look at it, it's like, okay, what is my goal? My goal is to write the best book that I can so that I will sell it to the most readers that I can, Mm -hmm. so that I will have an income, Mm -hmm. and so that I can feed those children who want me to go to that particular activity. So anything that is going to take me away from that, like extra travel, I've been traveling a lot lately. And so Mm -hmm. I'm really starting now to really look at it. And it's like, okay, does this conference, does this event really promote my business? Does this help me? Or Yeah. Or is it something I'm doing just for fun? And if it's just for fun, that's not bad. But then I need to make the decision, is it still worth it? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's where you, where you, it's, I, I hate using this word because it's become such a buzzword lately, but is I, I want to be mindful about it, you know, about mm-hmm. what the choices that I make. Um, and I like to think that I was before reading the book, but I think it's always good to just kind of have that. You know, that little reminder every once in a while about making sure that you're focusing on the things that are important and, and also getting through your day. I mean, it's very, very easy for writers especially to get very distracted. I mean, I know very few writers who go. I, I mean, I think Nora is one of them and because that's how she's managed to write 475 million books, you mm-hmm. know, who sits down at their desk and writes for eight hours and then goes and leaves and does, Mm -hmm. you know, the rest of the stuff. It's very easy. Most of the writers I know are like, okay, you have tricks to keep you at your computer writing, you know, I'm going to write for until the buzzer goes off or I'm going to do sprints with my friends or, you know, I, for a while there, I had post-it notes on my, around my computer. And every time I wrote, you know, 500 words, I'd rip off a post-it note. and I could stop when the computer had no post-it notes on it, you know? Yep. So you have these little tricks. And um, so I think that it's, very easy to get distracted by other stuff when that is the writer's mind is always trying to do this other stuff. And, you know, you're suddenly like suddenly it's the most important thing in the whole entire world to, you know, input, you know, your tax information for the month when, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's May, you just paid your taxes. Mm-hmm. You can probably wait a few weeks to do that, you know, get past your deadline and then spend it, you know, that kind of thing. Yep.
0: What are it, you doing? Why are you doing it? Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's, it is a kind of mindfulness, but it's also a kind of choice because in a lot of ways, especially as a, when you're, when you're writing and you're embarking on a creative enterprise, stuff happens to you and mm-hmm. you're processing it and it can be challenging to make the switch to, I'm going to make deliberate decisions as to what is happening and what I am doing and how I am spending my time. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's and that's true. very big. Diff- that's a very big difference.
1: And also, there's also the other sort of, um, uh, like, I will clean my house. So you can usually tell when I'm on deadline because my house is clean. And it seems like it's avoidance, but it's really not because that's when things just sort of gel in your head. Oh, yeah. uh, You know, so it's. On the one hand, it looks like, well, you know, I'm on deadline. Do I really need to scrub the sink? And it's like, well, maybe actually I do because that's mm-hmm. when I'm going to figure out this story problem is, is, you know, when I'm doing that. So, sometimes
0: it's letting your brain percolate and sometimes yeah. I think it's somebody, – somebody on Twitter called it combing your yak hair. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm combing the yak right now and I need to stop. I noticed that um, it's not cleaning for me but it's cooking. If I'm super stressed or I can't figure something out or I'm like overwhelmed, I go cook something. Or yeah. while I'm cooking dinner, that's when my brain, like the, the sort of crock pot in the back of my brain will be like, oh, 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 I know exactly what to do. Quick, write this down. And, it, and, it, and oh, it's Sadly like dis- that it's
1: not me. And you it know, it's like distracting great.
0: your brain and then mm-hmm. you come up with a solution to the problem.
1: Yes, exactly. Mine, alas, is not cooking. My family would probably appreciate it if it was. <laughs> <you know. laughs> I'm like sorry guys, y'all are on your own tonight. <laughs> well,
0: I'm I'm always ending up making something that is like, you know, full of carbs and 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 I shouldn't eat it anyway, but oh well. Are there any other books that you want to make sure you mention?
1: Oh, I'm sure there are, but I probably should have made a list because <laughs> my my brain just goes poof. I do love the I do love the um In Death series and I read Apprentice in Death recently and I just thought it was wonderful i mean i just i love all those books i love catch, but don't don't start there if you haven't read the series start with naked and death and read all 875 of them well it's a, it's a bad. really
0: awesome. good long story
1: Mm-hmm. and you know i'll tell you the thing i really admire about those too that um that it's, i find so compelling because i i won't say which series but popular series by popular authors i i became disappointed in and i and i dropped out of the series you know after five, six books because there really was no character development. The character that existed in book one was the same character that existed in book, you know, whatever, whenever I stopped. Um, with the same the same problem, the same character quirks that they that were a problem for them in the first one and they know it's a problem and they don't fix it. And um so that's one of the things I really find that I that I really enjoy about the JD Robb books and why I'm so into that series and frankly why, you know, I, I, I hope that I do the same thing over time is that the characters really change that Eve Dallas and the Rourke and the Peabody and the you know, Mavis, all these characters that existed in say the first five books, because they weren't all in book one. Right. Um, have changed. I mean, if you read book one and then you read, you know, if you read naked and death and then you read apprentice and death, you're going to be like, who the are the these heck? people? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because, because the, the shift is so subtle and so real um and I just think it's it's just an it's just i it, it i really find these books to be very compelling in that way i I really enjoy them and um um and it's interesting too because while i'm you know i i don't dislike Nora Roberts books, I read them and I enjoy them i'm you know i'm not they're they're not you know i have not one clicked every single one of them you know the mm-hmm. the in death ones i'm like they are there, they feed to my Kindle like four and a half seconds after you know boom 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 they release and you know, I have been known to read them all night too. So it's it's just interesting what what re, what resonates with a reader.
0: Mm-hmm. And continuity is a is a is is a is a growing art, I think. Like my mm-hmm. children love a, a cartoon called Steven Universe because what happens in one episode influences the next episode, mm-hmm. and you That's have to fun. watch them in earl in ep, in order because that means that you know if something happens and these two characters have a fight, you're going to know why in the next one they're still mad at each other.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the continuities because um, D Davis, the other critique partner that Kathleen and I had, and I did this series recently. In fact, we just put out season two. It was an idea that I had that I wanted it to be a soap opera you read. So it's a series of novellas, and we we planned it out, and then we got write, other writers to write all the episodes. I mean, we wrote a couple. but So last year we did season one of Rising Storm, and then this year we did season two. And it's really interesting because you, it's the same thing. It's a series of books, but you have to read. You don't have to, but it's most fun if you read all of them because everything builds along the story. I mean, it's a it's truly a soap opera that you read, and it was so much fun doing that because you you are you're pulling from things that happened in the previous book or maybe two previous books, and then just going all the way mm-hmm. down the line, and it's really cool. So I'm I mean that obviously that's the kind of thing that I just get off on. I love that kind of. Th- connectivity in books and <laughs> everything
0: well it helps if you're writing trilogies too
1: true it does it does I'm actually gonna start writing some single titles though so that'll be interesting to see if I can do that I may end up writing you know let's see about you know 80,000 word single titles just right so of they, course they really are a trilogy they're just in one cover it's no, a trilogy it's totally just a
0: really <laughs> mammoth
1: book that's right it's like, we'll see we'll see it's you been can a long time read since it I-
0: and then use it to block the draft in the windows. That's
1: right. <laughs> nice to have a dual purpose for your books. And, uh, for secrets, very easy for
0: the and that is all for this week's podcast. I want to thank Julie Kenner for taking the time to hang out with me, especially during release week, which is, you know, a really, really busy time. Sweetest Taboo is on sale now, along with the other two prior books in this trilogy, wherever your fine books are sold. I will also have links to all of the books, movies, television shows, and different things that we talked about in this episode in the podcast entry at com slash podcast. This podcast transcript is sponsored by Kensington, publishers of A Change of Heart by Sonali Dev, the highly acclaimed author of A Bollywood Affair and The Bollywood Bride. Dr. Nick Joshi had it all until, while working for Doctors Without Borders in a Mumbai slum, his wife Jen discovered a black market organ transplant ring and before she could expose the truth, she was killed. Two years after the tragedy, Nick is a cruise ship doctor who spends his days treating seasickness and sunburn and his nights in a very boozy haze. On one blurry evening, Nick meets a woman who makes a very startling claim. She received Jen's heart in a transplant, and she has a message for him. With starred reviews in PW, Booklist, and Kirkus, A Change of Heart has also been praised by Shelf Awareness, who said A Change of Heart cements this author's standing as not only one of the best, but one of the bravest romance novelists working today. A Change of Heart is on sale now everywhere books are sold, and you can find more information at sonaleedev.com. And now it's time for one of my favorite things. I get to give compliments. Yay, compliments! As I mentioned in the intro, so many of you have supported our Patreon campaign in the past few weeks, and thank you so much for that. You can have a look at patreon.com smartbitches. For different pledge levels, there are different rewards, and you can support the show and help me commission transcripts and upgrade equipment and keep the show going. Your support means an enormous amount, and I am so, so grateful for it. And now it's compliment time. Yay! Okay, this is so much fun. For Catherine G., you are more impressive than a bird and a plane and Superman, and all of them combined, which is either a burplame man or super burplay. But either way, whatever it is, you are incredibly impressive. To Shannon C, without you, the world would be a lot less fun, certainly not as cheerful, and you make everything so much better. Thank you for being you. And for Kristen W., All of the songs that are about looking for a hero at some point somewhere, they're all about you. All of them. Every single one, including that one by that woman with the big hair that I used to sing when I was in first grade. All of those songs are about you. If you are thinking, what just happened? You can have a look at patreon.com slash smart bitches and some of the answers to life's questions will be answered. At least the question as to why am I doing all these fun and random compliments? The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter, at Sassy Outwater. This is a band called Sketch, and this is called Shed Life from their album by the same name. You can find it at Amazon and iTunes and wherever you buy your fine music. Speaking of iTunes, did you know we have our own iTunes store? We totally do. iTunes.com slash DBSA has all the latest episodes and links to books in the iBookstore if you are an iBookstore book shopper. All of this is there. It's super rad. We kind of have our own, like, totally designated page. It's so cool. So cool. And if you would like to email me or call and leave me a message or ask me questions, I think that's an awesome idea. You can find me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com, or you can call our voicemail number at 1201 371 3272 And on behalf of Julie Kenner and everyone here and myself, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.